Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to Marketing Vanguard. I'm Jenny Rooney with Adweek, and I'm so thrilled to be here today with Leslie Sims, the CMO of Impossible Foods. Leslie, welcome. Hello, and thank you so much, and good to see you. So good to see you. I... um, it would be lovely to be together in person again, and we'll have to set that up soon because the last time we were together um, was a few years back at Clemson University when we both went um, to a to a great event that uh, that I think we were very collaborative in in terms of um, delivering frontline leading innovative CMO and marketer expertise to um, to students in marketing, in the marketing program at Clemson. And, um, yep. you know, I remember you were a speaker and you were just so inspirational. That was a few years ago and uh, you were at a different job at that point. So maybe we can start there. That's right. um, yeah. Bring us up to speed, bring everybody up to speed with, you know, where you've been and what you're doing now. We'll start there. Yeah, happy to. And uh, thank you again so much for having me on. And this is my first my first podcast as a CMO, um, so, so it's amazing. Congratulations! I'm, almost, I'm, I'm on month four so far, and you know, I I stem from the creative world. So um, about me, I mean, Clemson was my alma mater, so I went there uh, and randomly took an advertising class. You know, my senior year as an elective, which kind of sucked me in and really got me um, kicked into a tra- trajectory of advertising. Spent my um, early years as a copywriter, and then moved into creative director. Uh, eventually became CCO, uh, Chief Creative Officer of. Uh, I was at McCann for many, many years, and mm-hmm. then uh, moved over to YNR Ogilvy, and then most recently Deloitte Digital. Before I'm now taking on CCO, but also the CMO role uh, with Impossible on the brand side. So, um, yeah, it's been a came in from the creative window snuck my way yeah. into, into the business table. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because I mean, I love hearing stories of, you know, m- migrations, right? And CMOs paths to where they are, what they're doing. And I just think that um, there's something, um, 
you know, really exciting about, um, you know, you overseeing marketing and creative at Impossible Foods. And, you know, sometimes it's fascinating to see the roles that emerge based on and obviously based on the individual's expertise and background and educational background and previous career experience. Talk a little bit about how you're bringing um, all of that to bear, because I think you're such an incredible kaleidoscope or mosaic of expertise that <laughs> is so required right now in the CMO role. So how are you bringing it all together? You know, it, it's so funny. I, um, I've i always just loved, you know, advertising from when I was even a little kid. I would I would not watch any of the shows and I would memorize all the commercials. And then, you know, it was a no brainer when I finally kind of stumbled into it and figured out how to be at a creative school after portfolio, you know, a portfolio center after Clemson. But um, in my time being a creative and then, and then creating an environment for creativity, as you go up the ranks and you're making more room for more people to come in and really protecting it. And then working, you know, more closely with clients that have so much at stake and talking about what's really going to be moving the business and, and um, you know, calibrating creativity as a real business solution um, has has been where it started really opening the the door of how important using blue sky thinking and creativity uh, can be to drive business. And I think from back in the days we were talking about Peter McGinnis. You know, when I worked at McCann, one of the better examples I think out in the world is you know the difference between Mastercard. You know, back then it was Mastercard, Visa, American Express, and there were the little plastic cards that, for the most part, were just different colors, but otherwise just pieces of plastic. And yet how a campaign and a, and a brand that surrounds your, your perception of what this piece of plastic brings to you versus the other ones um, really changed the trajectory of that company. And MasterCard really was the leader and the dominant leader for so long because people, what, what they thought about that brand was, was so strong. And, and that's still to this day, what I'll, what I'll talk about when I'm at, you know, especially at, at client dinners or something. And it, I always love asking, what do you think is more important, your company or what people think about your company? Mm. And it always ends up being in this circular, well, but it's got to be great. But then if you don't know about it, you know, what if everybody knows about it and they think great things and then you fail? And, you know, but it's a really great way to leverage, you know, what we bring to the table as, as creatives and agencies can help build persuasion at scale, right? And we, we build... Um, we take a, a, a feature of a product or something, and then we, we figure out a way to bring it out into the world and, and, and have people think something more about it than its collection of parts, you know, feel something about it at the most ideal part, um, regardless of what it is, whether it's a computer or a pair of shoes or, you know, a, a place that you're going to go and visit on a, you know, on a vacation. So um, when I, when I was working at Deloitte, it's really funny, actually, that you're mentioning, um, I was loving constant, you know, opening the aperture throughout my career of, you know, at Deloitte, it went from just managing creative in communications and advertising to how do we take everything that a company needs to do and imbue more, more, you know, a little more uh, tangible humanity into it, regardless of what it is, whether it's a, you know, mm-hmm an employee portal, anything on their digital ecosystem, their websites, you know, um, uh, any of their experiences uh, out in the world or, or um, experience design things that they're doing in their, in their uh, digital ecosystem around a, around a company. And in within that, 
we were trying to figure out how can we pass the ball between just, you know, marketing and messaging and creatives that are, that are ideating and, and building brands. How can we have that kind of, you know, have collisions of thought between, between those teams and the teams who are building, you know, the next app who can then build that idea to be an out in the world experience that can then pass the ball to another app that can pass the ball back down to, you know, um, some other, some other, you know, way of showing up in the world. And that was such a huge, completely different, massive ecosystem to be learning in within Deloitte. And um, another big property of theirs that they're known for other than doing your taxes, very relevant this time of year, but um, massive part of that, but you know, never really, thank God I failed accounting. So um, didn't have a lot of experience on with that side of the business, but you know, they're known for writing these white papers about what's the future of automotive, what's going to be the future of, of energy, you know, what's the future of retail. And one of the things that they were, um, they had recently done a study on is, you know, all companies out in the world have been so focused on digital transformation for the last 10 years, mm. that we've, they've really followed it down the rabbit hole of, you know, the, the C-suite has kind of expanded or even doubled or quadrupled, you know, the number of C's there's now, you know, there used to be the CMO, the CFO, the CEO, you know, a few others. And now there's like the chief revenue officer, the chief customer officer, the chief growth officer, the chief, you know, like so many other chiefs and you're all splitting this. Well, and well, creative was definitely being went away. And even the CMOs, the number of CMOs has has really gone down, you know, in, in number that are, that are being included. And and the CMOs who are still there are being asked to have more analytical skills, you know, data, data skills. And, and, and they were seeing it as a huge creativity gap that people aren't using creativity and companies are really at risk of not being able to use blue sky thinking to solve their business problems. And yeah, so that, I mean, it, we were, we were really looking into that when Peter first called and it was talking about how companies who have creativity being represented in the C-suite being, you know, a, a CMO who comes from a creative world, especially I love Peter for choosing me to take on this role. Um, is just bringing a different kind of problem solving to the most pervasive business problems that we have. And business problems that are pervasive are pervasive for a reason. It's because they're not logically solved easily. So you need people who can come in and really blue sky it and advocate for bringing more people in who can do that. And that's what I'm, I'm thrilled about that Peter reached out to me um, to ask, hey, would I, would I be wanting to come over and apply everything that I've learned over here and bring a creative lens to it has been has been so exciting and it's a perfect fit for where this brand really needs to be going at its time in its life so we're going to talk i know i'm rambling sorry (laughs) no 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 there's so but there's so much good stuff in there um and you and i I, um i love talking to you leslie because i feel like our minds work very similarly around like seeing things connecting dots and i'm just like there's so much in there that i would love to unpack um but i'll start with a couple things one is um it's I love this concept of creativity driving business growth. It's so, so, so important, necessary. In fact, I'll, I will say, I'll make a, a plug that Adweek's overarching theme at Can this year is the business case for creativity. So we're, we're trying because, yeah, because That's we've always awesome. celebrated wonderful creativity and creative execution um, and creators. But I think, you know, Finally, the conversations need to center on connecting those dots and really framing out how 
creativity isn't a passive, um, you know, like a passive byproduct of business strategy. It is the business strategy, right? And and so if we can like get into the weeds on like how you how you actually make that real and who's making that real through the decisions that they're making and taking, um, that's key. So if 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 you haven't, uh, I don't know if you're going to Can this year. Are you? Uh, actually, we're. We, I am not going to be going to Can this year. We're, and and we'll be talking with you guys uh, about it as we go. But we are kind of doubled down on running our first campaign. We're going to be iterating through the summer, and Amazing. there is also another acquisition. Well, not acquisition in the business sense, but for for marketing and narrative purposes that we're that we're looking at during that time frame in June. So I it'll be my first year in twelve years that I haven't been there. I'm going to be bummed, but I'm also Hopefully it'll tee us up for the year after our next year. It'll be pretty, pretty good showing. I hope. I don't know. We're going to get, we'll get you on an ad week stage soon because I would love for you uh, to, to talk about that. I think you obviously, you know, your expertise and focus and priority is right in line with that thematic overview. Um, And that's something that we're going to pull throughout the year. I mean, it just has to be um, a focus. The other thing I want to say is it's interesting that Peter recognized, you know, the unique value in you because Peter himself was a CMO. He started it in, you know, at agencies, went in through, you know, to Chobani and the CMO role and elevated up to, I think it was president or CEO there before he came over to Impossible. So, you know, it's fascinating. And I love watching and tracking, frankly, the cohort of CEOs who have come up through that CMO role because I do think it creates a different sort of leader with a unique set of skills and perspective. And, um, you know, my, my, my personal opinion is like his hiring you is a perfect example of that because he recognizes the value in your, your focus on purpose, your focus on blue sky thinking, your focus on the, the power of creativity as a growth driver. Like to me, that's all something that you need to know as a as a visionary CMO in order to be able to to get the right people on your team. So um, that's pretty extraordinary. Now that you're um, now that you're here, um, and by the way, the creativity piece, I just want to add to that really quickly, build on what you said. I do think that we are redefining what creativity means. So I think historically in this industry, there's been a focus on creativity means advertising campaign. Well, to your point, creativity can mean so many, it can manifest in how your team structure is, how you think about, you know, breaking down silos within organizations, how you think about, um, you know, who you need to reach across the aisle, for lack of a better term, to to collaborate with within your organization in the C-suite, for example. So um, I love your thinking about fundamentally redefining what creativity is. Can we talk a little bit more about that? What is lacking right now in, generally speaking, the industry's definition of creativity and and from your vantage point how does it really need to evolve oh my god i mean i could talk about this all day um you know i look back at the what you know and i think we're coming into a new other golden age of advertising even though i think for some reason the word advertising needs a serious rebrand because people don't like the word advertising they say it sounds old and i'm like maybe we should call it persuasion at scale you know human persuasion Mm -hmm. at scale how about that you know like yeah. Who's, who doesn't need that, especially, you know, now we don't know where, where people's eyeballs are. And so, um, so we're having to figure out how to navigate around reaching audiences that are, are completely unpredictable as to where they are. So knowing, knowing, you know, how, context for how to receive a message, like all the things that we used to know, they've taken the Etch-A-Sketch and kind of shaken it. And now we're all, we're redefining what it means. But, um, you know, it used to have so much value because 
people didn't know how the sausage was made. I mean, I, I go back to looking at, you know, Mad Men and all those shows, which were brilliant. Oh my God, I love the show. But um, yeah. people didn't know how, how it happened. They just knew that it worked and it was, and we perfected it for the mediums that we knew where the eyeballs were going to be. And we knew exactly where the eyeballs were going to be at eight o'clock at night on a Thursday night. People were home, they were watching friends in their family room. Largely the family rooms look different, but that's pretty much where you knew that audience would be. So you mm-hmm. could contextually make work for that space on that medium. And um, over time, we've got gotten brilliant at kind of being able to geolocate and have, you know, definitive um, certainty and data gives you certainty about certain elements that people are really wanting creative to have certainty about it. And the thing about creative is um, it's, it's hunch based. You know, I had a friend that used to call it that they're like, you know, data is brilliant when it's used in the proper way. But, you know, I would love to do a presentation about data versus creativity. And my favorite one of last year was there is no data point that would have been able to prove or point at all that um, running up that hill by Kate Bush was going to be the most streamed song globally two weeks before it happened. There is nothing yeah. on the planet except for maybe people who knew Stranger Things. But then all of a sudden you, you implant that in a highly creative envelope of a really cool show that's brilliant and it, and it takes off like wildfire. And that's mm-hmm. what creative is bringing to the table. And because people are more demanding certainty and efficiency, um, they, they'll, they feel more confident that you're going to get an efficient media buy because more people are going to see it that might be in the, in the mood to buy. And what we're losing over time is that effectiveness, that big, you know, unexpected thing that comes out and really grabs you and, and makes you think something differently about a company or a brand or a person or a thing. So I think creativity went from this magic thing that they just somehow knew it worked to, to we went through everybody can have an idea, which I think can be true. But the hard part is there are a lot of right ideas out there. How do you, how do you get to the best right idea at the time and who can identify that one? And, um, and then how do you take that, take that leap of, you know, making sure that if you, if you're going to play by the rules of how the, how the internet or fame works today, you got to be able to really be provocative and do people have the appetite to do, uh, you know, un you know, unsafe work. I don't like saying brave work because, um, you know, brave work is necessary these days. Like if you aren't doing something that, that you're kind of feeling a little bit of a pit in your stomach, then you're probably not going to get noticed, you know? And, um, yeah, I think like what Dunkin' Donuts did at Super Bowl, you know, and it's fun, it's fun to, to hear a story oh, about yeah. that. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't, it really wasn't scripted. I mean, there was something, there's an aspect of it that was a leap of faith. And I think, um, you know, I think there needs to be probably paired with that. It's an openness. And it goes back to that concept of, you know, you need to, that you, you pair the data with, uh, with, with faith, you know, and with the ability to, to, to take some risks. And, you know, you, I think you used the word, um, um, was it courage around, you know, cause is it cur- courageous? Yeah. Versus bravery or courage. You bravery. know what I mean? Yeah. Seeing it as a necessity, I think, is getting getting comfortable with that. That's what's great about Peter is he's like, we, we aren't going to do anything milk toast because we can't afford to. We only have 5%, you know, market penetration and we have, you know, in households in the U.S. And, and you know, our awareness is so low. We're going to need to punch our way in and it needs to be provocative and we need to punch above our weight from our budget. You know, we're not, we're not you know, a, a massive blue chip brand yet, but... Um, you know, and using 
seeing you know data as something to to acknowledge and then use creativity to 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 change that yeah to to change the trajectory um is what we're looking what we're looking for yeah, there's an education play too that you have to deal with, especially in your category, because a lot of people there. I'm sure oh, that yeah. there's, you know, and, and we'll can talk about that in one second. You know, I I'm sure there's still reticence right around like literally the product, and so I think it's sort of like, so we'll, let me ask you real quick on this point about creativity, and then we can move on to that. Um, I love how you you're naturally in just like um, your your knee jerk reaction is to equate creativity with human and humanness, and I don't know if I've ever heard it spoken about like that, like such a foregone conclusion. So I love that you define creativity as human as a foregone conclusion, right? As a, like an inherent, like, of course, like, of course. Versus like mid journey or, you know, uh, chat GPT, which I think we can use that as a, you know, that creatives can provoke that to even behave in a way that can be counterintuitive. All of them are tools that Mm, we can use to provoke, you know, um, but that's fun. I didn't. I didn't really notice that I was doing that. But <laughs> I, I guess, love it. I guess maybe I am. Well, I mean, truly, we're. You know, I am in the business of. We want to have ideas that move people and make them feel something, but we're for profit. You know, as a as an industry. You know, I, when I speak about advertising, you know, we're still needing to to sell something. So, being able to mm-hmm. come at something in an unexpected way is going to punch above its weight in making an impact with someone. And then if you mm-hmm. can persuade in that moment as well, um, mm-hmm. you know, even better. And we're trying to change behavior, whether you're trying to get them to, you know, consider joining the Navy to, I don't know, go see Cirque du Soleil. I'm picking, you know, former clients of mine, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, we're provoking humans to behave differently and you, you yeah. kind of need to do that in a, You've got a lot of tools to be able to do that if you know your audience well. Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome code-dependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Experience a CMS where you can build dynamic content without code. Native localization that lets you translate your site in one click to reach global audiences. And third-party apps and integrations so you can build faster. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Yeah, Christina Henney at uh, um, uh, Cirque du Soleil, it was... She's a wonderful. Yes. Um, she's she, wonderful. I had a chance yeah, to get absolutely to know wonderful as well. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Impossible Foods. I mean, you know, where is it in its life cycle and its trajectory? And, um, you know, what was your remit when you came in, especially since it is such a young brand and there is that um, persuasion aspect that's so key for the company? Yeah. Well, I, um, I will say that I joke always that it was the four P's that really that really got me. I wasn't really looking to, to switch roles at this stage, you know, in my career, but, um, I, the, the mission is probably first and foremost. So the P purpose first P for me is like super close to me. I think, you know, from, from years ago, I've 
I've started this low grade panic about the environment and um, every headline is, is only make giving exclamation points on the end. And I love that this brand is taking a positive action oriented stance on it and creating something to, to proactively go at that and charge at that head on. So a, I love that. I love the product as well. I mean, what's better than cheeseburgers? You know, it's not like it's, difficult or heady it's like that's my wheelhouse you know it's like no duh it's a it's it's sausage <laughs> breakfast and sausage my, chicken and you know burgers what yay. i mean and my kids my kids my teenagers love it by the way so there's a there's a oh good there's a, uh, yes right. exactly there's a little bit of customer research that generation They'll from one family <laughs> that's great please i'll take it all I, that's the kind of data i love to hear um but the product is truly amazing. And in, it, in the category, it is still absolutely high watermark. And um, I love it. And I will say I hadn't, I hadn't really eaten it before. Um, you know, he, he had reached out to me. The third P, P being Pat Brown. Um, sorry if I'm sticking with the, the four Ps. When you go from product was amazing. Pat Brown having that idea to invent this entire category, which is different from like the Morningstar farms of the world, there've always been the vegan and vegetarian, like I'm doing air quotes, burger options out there. Um, mm. But he, Pat had the foresight. He did a great podcast, the how I built this. And I'd heard it, mm-hmm. you know, walking my dog that. endlessly during podcast or during COVID. And, um, and was just so inspired by his whole, his whole story. And for those who have time, I would encourage you definitely go back and listen to Pat Brown's how I built this. But it's, it's such a great frame for um, the kind of mind that can envision this. And that only happened like 10 or 11 years ago where he had the inkling to say, I'm going to invent something that is completely competitive to beef in it because people are hard. It's very hard to change people. You can't just make policy and expect them to change how we've been eating for millions of years. I'm going to make a product. I'm a chemistry major. Most of the things on the planet are made from the same you know, molecules just organized in different ways. I'm going to figure out how to take plant molecules and I'm going to rearrange them to make it taste like and behave just like beef. And man, did they mm. do it. And it's incredible. Um, so what an inspiration and a vision that he set forward. And then Peter McGinnis obviously coming in at this time of the, of the company. And that's where I think when he reached out to me, I'm like, well, what am I going to, you know, this company is, is like such a, a bottle rocket for everything of, of how companies should be moving forward. It's doing good for the planet and it can do great for shareholders. Even when we go public one day, you know, like everybody can win. The more people move over from eating beef, which is such a, a huge impact on the environment. And, and um, we can talk more about that, but um, I had no idea the impact that it had. And, um, and then, and then hearing where they are in their ecosystem or their, their life cycle. Sorry. It's like they started as a tech company. They innovated this incredible product that is in the form of delicious food. Um, they got the distribution. And now we're at the stage where we need mass human persuasion at scale. We got to educate people that we aren't like a morning star. We are for meat eaters. I think we, for a long time, have, as a company, had such great press around us. Like, we really we really had the press evangelizing and educating on our behalf, so they didn't have to spend mm-hmm. any marketing dollars. We were literally, like, the darling of every, of every headline um, yeah. and for, for a few years there. And um, so, so we were able to just go out and participate in cool stuff, you know? Like, we still get great calls. I mean, how fortunate are we that we get calls all the time of people wanting to partner and do things with us and... and um, 
But in that time, you know, we're like, all right, product is created, always going to be improving it. Um, yet we, we only have 15% awareness. We only have 5% household penetration. And we haven't really set that intention that, hey, guys, we're for meat eaters. We created this yeah. not for vegetarians. And when we aren't out there educating to say, you know, hey, you should eat this for these reasons. And also, by the way, it tastes exactly the same. It's delicious. You don't have to change a thing about eating your cheeseburgers. You know, um, you just need to pick this one instead of that one. We've never given anybody a reason why they would do that. And certainly meat eaters, I think we've just left them to believe that this is this is vegetarian food. So well, like, great, vegetarians can have a burger now, you know, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to be like, hey, dude or woman, please eat this instead of that burger. Like maybe once every four times. Yeah, what you've taken out of the equation is the trade-off, is the, is the assumed trade-off that you have to trade taste, right, and texture and experience for yep. a more uh, healthier alternative. And by the way, it's also better for the planet. You've taken that out of the equation. And so that's a huge aspect towards driving that, uh, you know, persuading people and driving that um, acknowledgement and surprise factor that causes them to either reconsider or think about for the first time. That's right. And, you know, we've been partnered with Burger King for several years, and we saw it at Mm -hmm. the front end where a lot of people came in, they tried it, but then, you know, it fell off again because we weren't doing a great job of educating why you should keep trying it. I think a lot, like so many people who who eat this, by the way, at least um, 50% of the people who try it are repeat purchasing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which tell, says a lot about just the flavor of it already is so competitive and so right on par that they're willing to, you know, one out of two is already rebuying it. So the upside is massive. We are just now starting in every direction to build our ecosystem to educate. Um, we're not just better for the environment. To your point, we have no cholesterol, which no other cheeseburger can say that or animal um, analog product, you know, meat product can say that. We uh, have just as much protein. And, um, you know, we, we aren't really telling that story. We don't tell our ingredient story, um, as to why, you know, I think there's, there have been some, uh, things that the press has picked up on and I can say, you know, this is where Keely would be good to have her on because I'm not sure if I'm, I'm allowed to say as a, as a jury of one, but we have some suspicions, you know we aren't seeing the same trends that we're hearing about some of the narrative that's come in around plant-based and, and uh, plant-based meats, meat replacements that we're hearing in the U S and, you know, beyond is probably our biggest uh, closest competitor, even though we're not trying to steal share from them at all. We're trying to steal share from, you know, obviously animal meat uh, sector, which is, you know, upwards of trillion dollars, but we're not seeing in Europe, we're not seeing in, in other countries, this same, narrative that verbals up in the US that you're seeing here, which is all oh, long ingredient list, or it's highly processed. So we're suspicious that, um, you know, we don't have the dollars, we're such a new kind of nascent category, if you do that diligence of separating us away from the Morningstar farms and the veggie burgers out there that were created for vegans and vegetarians. But if you look at us as like, true meat replacement category, we're brand new still, we don't have as much of a you know, lobbying power as let's say the beef industry that they don't really have brands that they're trying to, you know, leverage against each other. They just are a commodity of beef and they pay into a lobbying group that is very successful and very powerful to see, you know, where their 
their, you know, coming challenges might be, you know, emanating from, and they know how to pre kind of shank us. And we're seeing that a little bit in like some of the things that are popping out in this country uniquely. So we're like watching that a lot and, and knowing that we've got to get more out there uh, with our side of really everything about that story, our ingredient message, um, where we source, we, we have a lot of our, our ingredients are coming from, you know, us farmers. So there's just a whole lot of upside um, an embarrassment of riches of narrative around us. And we're just needing to pace ourselves and, and start to organize that. So let me ask you, I know we're, you know, um, uh, Earth Day this month. So a big key moment that aligns, obviously, with the company priorities and the purpose and the mission around it. What can you tell me about what you're doing, planning to do? Is there uh, is there something that we can expect to see or aligned with? Yeah, well, this year for for Earth Day, you know, we're also um, as we prep for for a, a summer campaign effort that we're going to also be running. We decided to do something that was just going to keep it light. We didn't want to come out on Earth Day and and be you know super preachy, but it's it's a great. Um, I don't know. It's a great day for us to celebrate because we can authentically say our entire existence is for the planet as well. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we wanted to be able to do something. So we ended up partnering with my um, old friends at Delight Digital, uh, who brought to us this great uh, social first campaign idea. And it's going to be uh, launching, I guess, if people are hearing this the day before Earth Day, it'll be launching on Earth Day. And it's really going to be talking about, we're going to be, you know, buying the, the tiniest ad that we can from the New York Times and, <laughs> and potentially others. And we're going to be talking about, you know, the how important and big it is to have a small impact. And, mm, uh, and yeah, their campaign is really going to be talking about, um, you know, the perspective around that no matter how small your carbon footprint, you can you can always go smaller kind of thing. And just in a super fun um, partnering with some some influencers and capitalizing on this uh, kind of trend that's happening out there with tiny foods, and I, I guess I'll leave it with that. But um, it, it's <laughs> just super fun. The moment everybody saw it, they were like, "Oh my god, yes, we of course have to do that." And that's what's great about. I would say, you know, I'm a little <laughs> bit biased, but that team at, at Deloitte Digital is um, is such a great culture forward um, creative. Uh, team and the creative department there. They're really great at figuring out how do you in a great, really breakthrough, good for the brand, but capitalize on certain cultural things that can, that can help you catch that wave in a, in a bigger way. So it was a lot of fun pulling it together. And it's our, our first thing that we're doing with them since I, since I moved over to, uh, to impossible. So we're, we're cool. pretty psyched about it. Well, let me ask you that because in mar- this Marketing Vanguard podcast, you know, we're talking to people about um, the, you know, the key decisions or the choices. Because, I mean, listen, leadership of any kind is all about a series of decisions every day, a million decisions that people make. Um, what has been, because we would love to break down how, you know, a, a key decision that you've made has pushed the ball forward, has created ripple effects, has truly... Um, move the needle on the business and it can be here, although you've only been here for months or it can be, you know, over the course of your career, what is something that you've done that you look back to and you think that not just drove the brand, but it truly drove our business in a meaningful way. Hmm. 
And it can be around anything, right? It can be about, like I said, organizational structure or process or talent or, you know, teams. I mean, you know, as well as, you know, the outside uh, deliverable, um, either for your clients or um, something that perhaps impacted the industry at large, right? Yeah. I mean, there, I'm, I'm, I may mention, but I can't say, would it be okay to mention something that like we, we just went through, there's something that's very, you know, close in, you know, that comes to my mind right away. And, but let me know if you're looking for something that maybe has more tangible evidence, because this is something that, um, at Impossible, as we're going and looking to do our first really sustained marketing effort, I think they've done, uh, efforts in the past where they did a kind of a six week run a couple of years ago in an advertising world that Wyden had developed. And it was funny as hell um, work from, from my predecessors, but we're in a completely different landscape now. We're needing to, we're needing to come at it from a different angle and really go for an open-minded flexitarian mindset. But we, um, Shireen Jagla is our new chief demand officer and she, I work so closely with her. Um, and she's going to be great at pulling together marketing and sales and our product teams, um, mm. to really be very in line with one another. And we, um, to make this summer effort, we ended up just deciding, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it was a big leap for us to say, we're taking a bit of note of you know, brands that we admire and some of the things that we see as aspects of super modern brands, you know, uh, Ryan Reynolds being one of the, you know, on the front end of being super nimble to market, being able to yeah, yeah. be in market and being highly responsive with well, um, you know, highly crafted messages, you know, and, and in, that, in, being, that speed component is huge, is massive. Exactly. Right? And oh, we were looking at how are we going to develop marketing um, knowing that next year we're probably going to want to go much bigger, but this year we need to move fast. We need to pull things together. Um, and do we want to go the route of developing a body of work and then, and then putting it out there in different sizes and places or, and we decided to, to end up, you know, given our budget and how we were having to do our, our media buy this year, we decided to go in a totally different direction, uh, and we'll be able to talk more about it with you as it comes to, comes to market, but, where the work um, this this company and partner is going to be ideating and developing the, the campaign and then helping us deploy it and com- and refresh it and keep creating. We're almost going to be in production all summer long in order to be responsive to culture and responsive wow. to things that might be happening, which is a mm-hmm. very different way of how I've ever worked uh, at an agency or how I've ever really worked anywhere and there's a lot of like question marks around us but we're we're moving ourselves into try mode and it really comes down from peter at the beginning was like i don't want to do anything boring we we can't afford to be boring and and we were all looking at each other going well if we want to we want to be responsive we want to be able to still have high quality content i hate calling it content like work that is responding to things that are happening in culture that can punch above its weight given the buy that we have um, so that's something that we just in the last month had decided to do and we're, we're hot and heavy into, um, developing the work and then we're going to be, you know, creating it throughout the summer, um, mm. in a completely different way of producing and, 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 um, being in production. So I'm kind of excited about it. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but we're, we're like going for it. So check back and see how we, how we do, I guess. But, um, I love that feeling excited and, and, and 
And if we can get this right, that's how we want to do all of our work. You know, everything needs to feel great, but also can be really highly responsive and quick to market. We don't, uh, I have a few questions left um, that I want to ask you. One question I have for you is, you know, we are living in, in tough economic times. Uh, a lot of people are, are, you know, are having to make, talk about trade-offs, you know, what they spend their money on, how they spend their money. And obviously the forces that are working against marketers right now are, are not to be undersold. I mean, it's a pretty, you know, you have to be scrappy. You have to be strategic. You have to, you know, I love what you said, you know, Peter said, we can't afford to be boring. You know, you've got limited time, limited resources, limited sort of ability to make that splash. So what is it like being a CMO in these current conditions? How are you having to think strategically in new and different ways than perhaps you wouldn't have to do um, when times are uh, a little bit better? And by the way, we've all seen the cyclical nature of this. So there's always going to be challenges facing marketers. And, you know, we've always we've seen up and downs around around the economy before. So it's not to say that this is unprecedented because it's not, but it is a thing. So how are you thinking about that? How do you apply that to your leadership as, as a business owner within the organization? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge aspect of what we're doing when you're doing well and you got no worries and, and uh, you're, you're, you're feeling like I have enough, I have enough budget to give something a shot, like give it a try something that sounds weird. Maybe the family will like it. Maybe they won't. I'm willing to take that thing because I'm going to try it. In times where everybody's kind of tightening the belt, there's much less opportunity to get sneaking into the grocery list, you know, and, and people are less willing to risk, you know, we're not cheap. Um, our product is pretty much the same price as an organic pound of organic beef. Don't get me started on like all the subsidies that come with beef, um, both from right. the feed that they eat. If you ate the, if you paid the, the real market value of a hamburger these days, it'd be something like $20 or $27, something like that. But um, nevertheless, it's a big barrier for us because price is for us, um, you know, an aspect. And as we scale, the price will be able to be be lower. But so we are really needing to first and foremost speak to an audience that we've got to figure out our our levers. There's half the public that doesn't believe in global warming and climate change, and uh, you know, so we're like, well, then maybe for those of them who aren't as motivated by that, we'll hit them with the health message of no cholesterol and, and, you know, all the protein. But, you know, it's in our best interest to get as many people as we can moved over to it, because that's where the planet's going to most benefit. And in my mind, that's truly where I'm like, sales will come from benefiting the planet. It's a direct correlation. And yeah. I couldn't be happier to work with it. But it does impact, you know, we're, we're going to target our efforts to the lowest hanging fruit and start calibrating What's most, you know, it's taste plus something. Taste plus environment, is that going to compel you? Is it taste plus, you know, the no cholesterol message? Is that going to be most compelling to you? We're trying a lot of things and seeing seeing what sticks, but um, it's certainly a factor that we're taking into consideration. But um, yeah. even even still, it's making us try and make sure that our messaging breaks through that much more because we don't have, we don't have you know, m- massive, massive budgets. Oodles of budget, yeah. Thank you, um, oodles. <laughs> an underused of budget. So oodles and noodles is one of our is one of our um, partners and clients, so I love them. Yeah, but anyway, yep. <laughs> there you go. That's great. That's where my mind went to. Um, okay, gut reaction to this question: um, You're on a soccer field or any sort of sports playing field. Are you the strikers trying to score the goals offensively, or are you at the midline trying to sort of 
be that connective tissue between the strikers and the defensive line, or are you defending the goal at all costs and making sure those competitors don't shoot and score against you? You had to ask me a soccer question. I I have no knowledge. I'm not a sports person at all, but I'm going to try and answer that. Um, I, I think from my career, I went from the strikers, the one that's trying to make the goal. Yeah. I went from that to that midfield. Um, yeah. Where I see trying to trying to tee others up. That was my whole objective and goal. And right now, I see our our best people, our legal and our finance, are playing the the goalkeepers. I guess which we need them, mm-hmm. you know. And they're Absolutely. they're great. They keep us in line. But it's my ch- it's my job to go as far as I can, you know. Without how can we keep this metaphor going? Without getting red carded. <laughs> Um, Very good. I'm trying here. I've watched some World Cup things, but most of it was drinking during most of them. But um, <laughs> no, I uh, I see myself as right now, you know, the, the the player that's trying to make sure that the team wins, and by that I mean the planet. So whatever whatever we have to do, whatever role I have to play to make sure that everybody else is op- operating at their best, um, whether that means getting in there and you know bringing. Is, are there water boys and girls in soccer? <laughs> I'll play all the roles. Sure. I'll play the orange. The, the person who provides the orange slices. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I can do that. Like, I, and I've ha- I have done that. You know, we are a really lean team right now, so it's we're finding that you know a lot of us are having to operate in ways that we've never worked before. But um, you know, when it comes to working on a team, I've, that's probably what I've enjoyed the most out of this entire you know both in advertising and now working on at impossible on the brand side, just having a team that has an alignment and a shared objective and goal and being able to win together in whatever that win looks like is really what makes me the happiest. So um, last quick question, Um, you know, here um, on the marketing Vanguard podcast, we love um, in sort of a pay it forward um, priority. We like to ask this of our guests, which is, Who's next? Who is another um, industry leader or CMO that you think we need to invite on the show? Um, I will say that Shireen is somebody who we were planning on reaching out to at some point. So um, her or beyond would love your recommendations of other people we should be talking with. I love it. Yeah, definitely Shireen, I would say, and Peter. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's Andrea Brimmer, who was also at that Clemson event at Ally, which I don't know. I love Andrea ever, Brimmer. I love she, her. Just love everything amazing. about. She's, yeah, she's done such an incredible yeah. job. And like that being one of the first banks without any, you know, physical footprint. I love everything that they're doing. And then I would also say um, one of the former um, CMOs from when I was at, at um, Philly Digital, uh, Linda Goldstein at CSAA or AAA Insurance. She has done mm. some really, really, and did one of my favorite activations uh, that the team did when I was there with Rick Rowling. Um, and just the things that she talked about being taking leaps and not being, you know, being brave. She approved skywriting bitlies, you know, up in the sky over concerts. And, and when people would type in the bitly, they would just get Rick rolled. It was just being super playful in culture. I love how she's yeah. taken that brand and really it punches well above its weight. So I guess I would, I would definitely say Linda Goldstein and uh, Andrew Brimmer. Would awesome, be my best. Awesome, After awesome. Shereen. Yes, of course. Oh, Leslie, thank you so much. Um, 
we will reach out to them. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for being here with me today. There's so much more that you and I could talk about. And so um, I consider this the start of just more, uh, more conversations. Um, but for today, thank you so much for being here on Marketing Vanguard and sharing your pearls of wisdom of which there are many. So good luck to you as you move forward for sure. Thank you so much. And now, yeah, I'm about three and a half months in. Maybe we'll check back in and see how how the CMOing part is going. (laughs) But thank you so much for having me on. Great to see you. Of course. Great to see you as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.